welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, is joining us today. Just myself and James on this episode. Looking forward to having this conversation. James, good to have you back. Of course, plenty of White Sox conversation that we're about to get into. We're in a kind of a stale part of the offseason, but there is still plenty of news to talk about. We'll get to the international signing period upcoming in January that I know you have a lot of information on. Eric Longenhagen of Fangraphs put together a top 32 list of prospects within the White Sox system. We're going to go over some interesting names and where he listed them. And, you know, we'll have our takes as well. Garrett Crochet, a conversation that I want to dive into with you that I know we we are in agreement in a lot of ways, but also we have to explore the perspective of what the White Sox want to do with Crochet and his usage, as well as plenty more as we dive into this episode. Man, where do we want to start, James? Because I think I think we want to dive into Garrett Crochet, at least I do at this point, because here we stand with Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, and Lucas Giolito at the top of the rotation. Michael Kopech, Dylan Cease, Reynaldo Lopez, we can look forward to at this moment. I think you and I can agree that we'd like to see the organization pick up another starter. But in the conversation of Garrett Crochet, the feeling now that we're getting is that the Sox want to use him as a relief pitcher out of the gate for a full season because they want to win now. The window is wide open, and when you have an arm, especially from the left side, as electric as Garrett Crochet, Tony La Russa is going to want to utilize that. And I think the only way you can at this point is out of the pen. And there's plenty of issues that we could talk about related to that. But let's kick off the conversation just based on that point, because we know Garrett Crochet had the forearm tightness. He left the playoff game, game three in the AL wildcard. And now we're talking about potentially, and luckily nothing came of it. You know, he, he was able to to overcome that injury, no surgery. And now we're talking about Crochet potentially being a major league regular out of the bullpen. Initial thoughts, how you feeling about Crochet and the future in 2021? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, we, we don't really know what their plan is for sure, but Eric Longenhagen in his piece today for Fangraphs kind of mentioned, like, in passing that their plan is, like, what you said, to start him in the bullpen. Um, and then they did mention, like, Chris Sale, you know, like, he could start in the bullpen and then still be a starter long term. And, you know, new pitching coach Ethan Katz was on recently with Chuck Garfine, and, you know, he didn't specify what the role would be, but he did kind of say, like, you know, Garrett Crochet is completely healthy, he's in Arizona, they have a plan for him, and they have, like, big plans for him, you know, which insinuates, like, you know, he's probably going to be with the big league club for most of the season, which I honestly wasn't expecting. I mean, everything Rick Hahn has said, and the people that have drafted him have said is that, you know, they think he's a starting pitcher. You know, if he's a starting pitcher, and obviously, like, you know, what the minor league season looks like is going to be up in the air a little bit. But if there's a minor league season, I, I, I'm i under, you know, I think he needs to go down and start in the minors and get some innings there. And then he can come up and pitch out of the bullpen, like, late in the year for the Sox. And if your plan is for him to be a starter, potentially, in the big leagues in 2022. Right now, if that's not their plan, if their plan is that he's just going to be a reliever forever, then yeah, like he might be Josh Hader. I hate like using the 11th overall pick for that. So that's, you know, a little bit frustrating. I do also question them and look, they're smarter than me, but you know, if they think that they can pitch Garrett Crochet out of the bullpen this year in some sort of like super relief role, and then he can still become a starter for you, like in 2022, 
and beyond. I just don't see it. Like the Chris Sale thing, Chris Sale was a starting pitcher at Florida Gulf Coast for three years. And then he was in the White Sox bullpen. Um, and then they made him a starter, but he had like a base of innings that like, you know, he could always like use as a reference point. Like Garrett Crochet's never thrown enough innings to just like all of a sudden, you know, be a starting pitcher. So I would think even in a super reliever role, I think it's a stretch to say that he would get 70 this year. So let's say he pitches 70 this year out of the bullpen. Like, okay, you're going to make him a starter next year. Like, okay, he's throwing 120 innings tops, but in 2022, you're going to be, you know, probably like division favorites trying to win a world series again. So how, how does that work exactly? I'm just, you know, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, he's definitely a weapon out of the bullpen and he, he's very useful, but I kind of feel like, you know, I agree with baseball America. I think what we saw last year from Garrett Crochet is his floor. That's like the lowest he's going to be, which is awesome reliever, meaning the ceiling. I don't know if he's an ace, but you know, the ceiling is, 200 inning like mid rotation starter from the left side, which is much more valuable than, than dominant reliever. So, you know, it's obviously going to be a storyline to watch They're They're rumored, you know, to be in the market for a closer, which, you know, if you're going to have crochet in the bullpen, like maybe spend that money elsewhere. But I guess, you know, we'll see, but it's not that surprising that Tony La Russa probably wants Garrett crochet in his bullpen. Right. Because they want to win and Garrett crochet is electric and there's a lot there, James. And, I want to break it all down. And you mentioned the draft in 2020 with Crochet being selected at number 11. You put together a 2021 mock draft that's published here on Future Socks. I encourage those listening to the podcast after you get done here, you know, go check that out. And this is early, but I think it's a good preview of what to expect because it's a very unique circumstance following just a five-round draft last year, and especially considering a lot of the seniors coming back potentially uh, as well as you know what we can expect from those in the in the high school ranks, either choosing to go pro or you know going into a community college in the JUCO route or whatever, or deciding on the NCAA Division One area. So yeah, lots to get into today. You also mentioned Ethan Katz talking to uh, NBC Sports Chicago's podcast with Chuck Garfine. He had interesting things to say about the development plan related to the major league starters in Kopech and Cease. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with a lot of these young guys because of the relationship that Lucas Giolito already vouched for him. He talked to the front office about Cats and how it impacted Giolito's development and how it relates to potentially the younger Major League starters. But back to Crochet. Interesting that you mentioned the floor as a Josh Hader type, and I think that's very encouraging. But when it relates to him in 2021, in the immediate sense, in the plan for the White Sox, right? You talk about potentially investing in a closer in Liam Hendricks. I think that's still in play if you consider Crochet to be out of the pen because you need a guy in the ninth inning to solidify that role. But also, how are you, like the Crochet situation is so unique because in college he was being prepped as a sophomore going into his junior year to start, and at Tennessee. His junior year was expected to be the horse at the top of the rotation, but that never came to pass. The White Sox drafted him, in theory, to be a starter down the road, but because of the unique circumstances in 2020, they used him as a as a reliever because there was a chance for them to make a run in the playoffs, and his arm is fresh. So this is a guy that worked in Schaumburg, ultimately got up to the majors, came up, showed that he can throw 99 in short bursts. But if you expect him to be a future starter, you have to be careful in developing crochet, right, James? Because if you put him 
in a plan to develop as a reliever in the immediate sense and then change things up. And I'm not saying this is damning or it's going to you know hurt him potentially. I mean, yeah, maybe that's in, in, uh, in consideration, but I think it's a delicate balance with Crochet in particular because when you mentioned Chris Sale, Chris Sale had a lot of innings logged already. Crochet, not so much. What is it, 150 innings prior to his debut in the big leagues? So when you're developing Crochet as a reliever and then transitioning that into a starter in 2022, potentially, I think there could be an issue there when you talk about just that development path. I don't know. I think it's I think it's concerning when if you think that you're going to use him now as a reliever and then later on as a starter, not to say that it can't be done. Just in his case, I think it's just a little iffy. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think if he's a reliever this year in the big leagues, I think I don't think we ever see him starting personally. And you know, I think that's a poor use of the 11th overall pick, even if he's awesome. You know, I mean, everybody points to Josh Hader and you know and Andrew Miller and guys like that, but like, look, those guys were drafted to start and they failed as starters, and now they're awesome relievers. Like. That's just not where power relievers are drafted. And I'm pretty sure, like, you know, if Mike Shirley, who I think, you know, people kind of like at this point, right? Like, his, his scouts and him, and him, they drafted Garrett Crochet, and they said this is a mid-rotation starter. Well, if you just decide to put him in the bullpen right away, like, do you disagree with Mike Shirley's assessment then? Or, you know, like, I just, I don't know. I don't get it. And the one other thing I said, you know, that you brought up with last year's draft, if there was a college baseball season last year, nobody would be talking about Garrett Crochet being a reliever right now. And he also probably isn't on the White Sox. So, you know, like the whole, that that's what made this whole thing like so unique is that he was awesome in the fall and the Sox saw him, you know, and that was well-documented. And then he did, he just like didn't pitch at all. And like, this is the way he looked, but like, you can't tell me that like, if he looked like he did in the big leagues, you know, pitching in the SEC, that he probably wouldn't have been a top five pick anyway. So yeah, I just I just kind of think it's it's madness. I mean, I understand like you know shiny new toy. I understand like why would you waste bullets in the minor leagues when he could do it now in the big leagues? Like I get all that stuff. Like it all makes you know some sense. But if you think he's a starter long term, like this is probably not the way to go about handling him. So we'll see. Like I I like I like Ethan Katz. I like their pitching development people. Like I'll I'll trust them on it. I just kind of think he's more likely to get hurt ramped up in relief. And I think it's gonna be really hard to make him a starting pitcher ever if they do it this way. Well, they wanna win. That's the main thing, right? And the quickest way to win and the most beneficial way to take advantage of this opportunity is to use crochet now. And you're not gonna use him as a starter, so you're gonna have to put him in the pen. And James, I think the concerns that I have, and I don't think that, you know, he's incapable of being a bullpen piece and then turning into a starter down the road. However, when you're asking him to come out of the pen, ramp it up, you know, every other day and then, or whatever, however they want to use him, it's different that routine to pitch, you know, so consistently get up and down, ramped up and then max effort every appearance, as opposed to every fifth day, you know, build your body up. And it's not like Crochet as a starter would be throwing 99. He's going to learn how to pitch. And I'm not saying that he doesn't know how to pitch now. I'm just saying as a starter, there's a delicate balance between maintaining your consistency across 120, 140 innings 
across a minor league season compared to 70 innings at the big league level, max effort all the time out of the bullpen. I think that's some of the things that I'm concerned about using Crochet in this in this role, and I agree with you. Mike Shirley picked, and the White Sox picked Crochet at 11 last year with the idea that he would be a future starter. And you're not giving him the opportunity now, and I get it because you want to win, but his value is so much higher as a starting pitcher than as a reliever. But, James, what it comes down to is a chance to win now, and the White Sox are trying to take advantage of it. They are. I mean, did they hire Tony LaRusso to win the 2021 World Series, though, or did they hire him because, you know, he's like the best guy to win three division titles and then you give yourself a shot to win them. You know what I mean? Like I want to be good. I want the Sox to be good for the next 10 years, not just like have Garrett Crochet go nuts in 2021 and win a title. And then like, that's all we need from him. Right. Like you, you have to sustain success at some point. And in order to do that, you need to have your people like in the proper roles. And honestly, like the White Sox know how to develop bullpen guys. Like they're going to find other relievers and they're going to, and it sounds like there's going to be money to sign some. So, you know, I think it's short-sighted. Um, but I will be, you know, hopefully in attendance, like with beer, watching him come out of the bullpen if that happens. I think it's just dangerous to go all in on a single season with a piece so valuable like Crochet, because, you know, if things don't work out, that could damage the rest of his career. And this is an arm that doesn't come around too often. So that's all. I, I mean, look, I, I want the White Sox to win a World Series, and ultimately, if they get that trophy, it's all that's all that matters. And I agree with you. I want the White Sox to sustain success, and you know it's going to be difficult, you know, moving forward with balancing let's develop and also let's win. So I think the White Sox are totally in the let's win mode, and that that relates to Crochet in the pen. And you talked about Eric Longenhagen, and this is where the conversation stemmed from. And even you know talking to sources who are very close to the White Sox. The thinking is, the general thinking is here, is Crochet is going to come out of the pen most likely in 2021 at the big league level. So however you feel about that as White Sox fans listening to this podcast, let us know. And we we really love to hear from you. You can email us, by the way, at futuresocks, um, futuresocks at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. But also, yeah, the Longenhagen piece, James, let's transition a little bit to the top 32 list of prospects that you know, Fangraphs put together and he put, and I encourage again, listeners to check this out too, because I think there's short blurbs under each name and justification as to why these are listed. A couple names in the top 10 that I think you and I, before starting this conversation, were kind of uh, taken aback by. We see Benjamin Bailey at seven, Jose Rodriguez is eight. And speaking of Garrett Crochet, he's, he's listed at four. Zach Birdie too at six, by the way. So shout out Zach Birdie. Really excited about his 2021 season. But Benjamin Bailey and Jose Rodriguez, James, at 7 and 8. And they have a future value ranking of 40-plus. And that's the way that they, you know, on average expect um, a prospect to develop. So 40-plus value is pretty solid. And for Benjamin Bailey at 19 and Rodriguez at 19 as well, and this is also another thing that we can talk about as well, James, is without great falls, those those are two players, I think, who are directly affected, not having the opportunity to play at an advanced rookie level affiliate. So just... Your reaction to seeing Bailey and Rodriguez rank so high by Fangraphs at this point? Yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised because, like that, in the top ten right now, I think that's pretty that's pretty high. I, I think if you told me that both of those guys were in their top ten next year after graduations, and you know maybe they move on to Canapolis and they play pretty well, like 
I, I'd believe, I, you know, I'd, I'd believe it then. I think Brian Ramos is another guy in there who, you know, Brian Ramos would be my sleeper guy that would be a top 10 prospect in their system at this time next year. You know, I think it's good that they're this high because um, Eric talks to a lot of scouts, right? So if the scouts are saying like, hey, these are the, the guys to check out, then, you know, then we have reason to believe that. I think our own Sean Williams has seen Jose Rodriguez a bunch you know, and he's basically said, like, yeah, the dude can hit. Like, I was under the impression that, you know, Jose Rodriguez, um, there was a chance he was going to make it to low A this year. So I'd be pretty surprised if Jose Rodriguez isn't, you know, the starting second baseman probably in Canapolis this year. You know, and he's, he's pretty young, but, you know, he can hit, and that's one of the guys on the radar. Ben Bailey's a little bit of a different story. Ben Bailey hasn't played above um, the Arizona League. There is like a crunch with young outfielders. So, you know, he they could push um, to Kannapolis or they could just leave him, you know, in extended spring training and then he starts in rookie ball. But yeah, you're right. Like th- those are guys, you know, part of a group of guys that could be hurt by not having great falls. But they're also a group of guys who could just burst onto the scene out of nowhere and everybody would be super surprised because we haven't seen them. We haven't seen any of these guys because none of them played last year. So you know, it was good. There was some good info that came out of uh, Fall Instructional League. You know, just, you know, you hear bits and pieces from scouts that saw players. We talked on our last podcast about the effect that it had on Avery Weems. Um, I think Cade McClure is, you know, much different than the young teenagers are talking about, but he's another guy, I think, who's, you know, his prospect shine is a little bit higher now because of, like, what was seen in Instruct. So that's going to be one of the interesting storylines for us to follow is to just, you know, kind of realize – that a lot of these guys got better and we just don't know about it until there's actual games to watch them play in. Yeah. I think that's the main takeaway for me as well is the importance of 2020. A lot of these guys that we haven't paid attention to that have taken that next step without us really evaluating it in person or, you know, reading reports because essentially the organization is in total control and, you know, limited media access, this and that. And, you know, that's what makes 2021 so interesting is because guys can burst on the scene. And that's why maybe the White Sox were able to sell the Rangers on Avery Weems because of the jump that he made last season. And as a throw in piece, it can't hurt for a Lance Lynn. Now, you mentioned a couple of those guys, too, in the top 32 list by fan graphs. How about our boy DJ Gladney? As There's a lot of positive developments related to Gladney. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Gladney. I think Gladney can translate as a 19-year-old now into somebody that can really burst on the scene once he he continues his development. But at 30, there's not a lot to be desired, at least according to fan graphs. What was your reaction to see DJ Gladney so long? So I think, you know, Eric made it very clear that he didn't, you know, he didn't see any of these guys in person, right? So the scouts that he had talked to, I think basically painted it as like Gladney is like a big power guy that strikes out too much. That, you know, if he ends up as a first baseman, then I think this ranking makes some sense, right? But from stuff that we've heard internally is that, like, the exit velocity is crazy off the bat. He's made, you know, he's he's made swing changes with development coaches. You know, I've heard from people that are expecting huge years out of DJ Gladney. And he's, you know, he's going to be an A-ball. He's going to be in Kannapolis as whatever he is, a 19 or 20-year-old. You know, him and Brian Ramos both probably getting time at third, some of them at first, some of them at DH just to get at bats. Um, You know, DJ Gladney is another guy who's probably a top 20 prospect in the system 
at this time next year after graduations. And I think, you know, we do our preseason list this year. He's going to be in the, the high twenties, I would think. So, you know, that, that's another guy like they, you know, they just have so many teenagers that haven't played at all. And most of them weren't at the alternate site and they were getting stuff done on their own. And look, obviously, like, I think we're a little bit higher on DJ Gladney and the people that we have talked to are close to the team. Right. So sometimes team sources like are higher on their own guys. Um, so that's where it's good to like get the balance from Eric, but you know, long and Hagen did say, you know, he didn't see any of them in person. So if Gladney did make big steps and like, you know, a scout wasn't there those days, then, you know, that's where like some of that, some of that comes from. I think something too, that long and Hagen mentioned, I think it's an important point about Gladney and we'll move on here too, is, you know, we're still waiting on him to mature as a player. And I think that's his point. And maybe, He's ranked so low because of the lack of information that we have. So I'm with you in the sense that if you, if he moves to first base, a little bit of that value uh, is diminished. But at the same time, like that bat seems to be for real. And to your point also about those within the organization, Gladney's somebody who, when you talk about biomechanics, does pretty well in that department. So if you take analytics into consideration, he's somebody who fits the mold as somebody to really be excited about. And uh, before we move on to Ethan Katz here, James, I want to talk about Bailey Horn because he snuck his way onto Long and Hagen's list. And he's, a you know, the fifth round draft pick out of Auburn by the White Sox in 2020. Somebody that we were interested in seeing because, you know, he was, he was signed as a legitimate fifth round draft pick in terms of his slot value. So you see him as a college starter and maybe he has a reliever profile, but there's an upside apparently there to Horn that I think now his velocity, you know, has the potential to spike a little bit, low 90s guy. But Bailey Horn at the bottom of this list, I think that's kind of encouraging. No, I mean, this is somebody that we have, haven't have seen at all in entering his first professional season with the White Sox. I think it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, so I think Eric Summation said that he's another up-down relief prospect with two quality breaking balls. Um, so look like the curveball is pretty good from what I've been told. You know, I watched a few starts from Auburn last year where he looked, you know, pretty good. Looked the part of a guy that, you know, would have been drafted in the top 10 rounds as he was, you know, I think he's probably a left-handed starter down in Kannapolis or Winston. And, you know, we'll see how he goes and we'll see if he can bust his way onto like our top thirties here going forward. I mean, look, maybe like if he ever makes it to the majors, maybe he is a reliever, but I think he's definitely, you know, starting in the minors, you know, to start. And he's just, you know, another guy to, another guy to add to the pile, I guess, you know, he's had some injury issues at Auburn. So I think he is um, 23 next year. So maybe he's at Winston instead of Canny, but yeah, that's just, you know, it's another name um, of a guy down in that same mold as, you know, I mentioned McClure earlier and you have Connor Pilkington you know, and some, some of those yeah. type guys, like starters down at the bottom of the system. Yeah. And if he turns out to be a depth starter in the minors and his ceiling is a major league reliever, I think that's a win for the White Sox based on his profile. So, all right, good stuff uh, related to the top 32 prospects. Again, check that out on fan graphs. A lot of interesting information there. If you, if you want to get your fix related to that, we're going to have 
our preseason top 30 around February. So look forward to that. And we're also looking forward to the minor league season. There's still yeah questions going on. It's up in the air. Yeah. And I don't know if it's going to start later, James, how many games that they want to play. And it seems like it's not going to start on time. But if they get close to 100 games in across the minor league season, that's got to be a win this year. Yeah, I would I would think so. And even if like base even if like the major league season starts on time in April, the talk was that the minor league spring training wouldn't start right away so that they'd maybe start in May. So they're going to, you know, but you know, if they could get anything, that would be good. And yeah. I think, you know, with, you know, we're not doctors, but you know, with the way that the vaccines being distributed, you know, I would assume that there will be some minor league baseball, you know, especially in small towns across America where you know, I'm I'm sure they'll be letting fans into ballparks before. Oh, they're gonna have before, to. You know, before too long. So, yeah, that'll be. You know, the the long and hanging list, as you referenced, it, you know, it's a good, it's a good source. They do good work over there at Fangraphs. A lot of times, their list is different than other publications because Eric really, you know, he talks to a lot of scouts and he's got a lot of like backfield type guys on his lists where some of the more mainstream prospect analysts might not. One last thing that I want to mention from there that, that was interesting. Caleb Freeman is on there. Caleb Freeman was, you know, one of their day three picks in 2018, I believe. He was a starter at Texas Tech. Um, fits the profile that they've done lately. He was a really bad starter at Texas Tech. Um, he was a guy that Nick Hosteller told us about specifically. And he kind of compared him to Ian Hamilton and Cody Hoyer and some of these other guys that were bad college starters, you know, that they just like put them in relief and their stuff's amplified all of a sudden, you know, like Caleb Freeman was throwing 97 in rookie ball last year with a, with a pretty good breaker. So he's, he's a guy that could be on the back half of top 30 lists this year that some people haven't heard of that could move really fast in a bullpen role. So I was, you know, I, I had always kept my name or my eye on him because of the stuff Hosteller mentioned. And now that Eric has him on his list too, I thought that was pretty promising for Caleb Freeman. So he's turning 23 here soon. So that's definitely somebody who can accelerate in terms of development just based on his age and where he's at within the system. Yeah, good stuff there uh, overall. Boy, the conversation that we've had at this time compared to where we were last year, totally different, uh, at least leading into uh, the regular season in 2020. And hopefully, I'm not looking forward to the 2021 negotiations in the CBA Oh man, that is going to be a nightmare. I just, uh, man, I just, I don't want to talk about it again because I know the players are going to have issues, and I know the, the and even leading into this season, I know the owners and players aren't going to agree on uh, you know protocols or whatever. A 140 game season, and the players are going to say, no, I want 162 in full pay. You know, so I just, I hope that they can get something done quickly and we don't have to yeah. deal with that conversation again for months on we're going to turn back into the prospect podcast by then yeah. <laughs> I hope, uh, I hope prospects so. and minor leagues only yes i hope so yeah you know, we're gonna have to if, that, if that's the case uh, yeah. we went through james we went through so many guests last year talking about hypotheticals related to those conversations it was so exhausting i just don't want to relive that and i don't think any of the fans do either okay so we talked about Ethan Katz, and he spoke to Chuck Garfine, and I think something that we want to bring to the podcast today is the impact that he will have on the younger pitchers who are already a major league established and then upcoming specifically related to Michael Kopech. The White Sox are clearly not done with Ronaldo Lopez, and the White Sox still believe that Dylan Cease can translate into something. And we, you know, we talk about Dylan Cease a lot on this show, and I'm 
I'm a big fan of the stuff. Uh, and, you know, you can go back and listen to all my takes on Dylan Cease. And I think it's been consistent if he's able to figure out location. And I think a lot of people have this same thought. But there's a chance that he can be a mid to bottom half of the rotation consistent piece in a major league rotation. So let's see how Ethan Katz can develop these players and specifically related to those three, James. What was some of your takeaways after listening to Ethan Katz speak with Chuck Garfine on NBC Sports Chicago? Because since Katz was brought in as the pitching coach to the White Sox and all the public appearances that he's made, whether it's on the score or in media Zoom sessions and now in NBC Sports Chicago, he said the same things. There is a plan in place to turn the, the pitchers in Cease and Kopech and Ronaldo Lopez potentially into into these consistent, valuable starters at least the way he sees it. Yeah, I think it was just good that, you know, he seems like he has a different plan for everybody. And I'm, look, I'm sure like Don Cooper did the same thing, right? I'm sure all these guys had offseason plans forever. Um, but I, you know, I do, I was, it, it was interesting to hear him kind of talk about Dylan Cease. And, you know, every time the guy talks, it seems like he has like the secret formula, right? And he's like, obviously not going to give it to you, but he, but he seems like he went in and knocked out this interview because he's like, oh yeah, you have like all these talented pitchers and like, this is what I'm going to do to make them better. Right. And you know, his resume is basically like Lucas Giolito, right? Like you don't, you don't need like to tell all these stories about your, oh, like, why are you qualified for this job and this and that? Like when you can point to like the resurgence of Lucas Giolito and how you helped him. And it, and it he's not like one of these one size fits all guys, right? He, you know, he, he talks to each player and he develops a plan for each player to make that player better. And I think that's good, like going forward. Um, so, you know, the Dylan C stuff, it sounds like a lot of lower half stuff and balance and stuff that you've talked about, you know, on the podcast, you know, trying to get him to where he needs to be. And then the Michael Kopech stuff, I, I think is mo- like they said, he's completely healthy. My guess with Kopech is, you know, he starts in the minors. And everybody will say service time manipulation, obviously. Michael Kopech's going to be 25 years old next year with five years of control. But Michael Kopech will be on an innings limit. So if you want Michael Kopech at the end of the season, he's probably going to have to start in the minors, you would think. So, you know, I think those are the two current, like, pupils, I guess, of Ethan Katz. And then you got a couple of vets in there, too, with Giolito. You know, and you got a lot of bullpen arms. And, you know, some of the stuff he said about Ronaldo, it makes it seem like Ronaldo Lopez is going to go possibly right into the bullpen and be converted into a reliever. See if his stuff plays up. Uh, if it doesn't, I believe Reynaldo is out of options and he will likely be elsewhere. But, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, maybe maybe they amplify him a little bit in, in a bullpen role. And I'm just excited, you know, just to see a different direction. You know, Don Cooper was what he was at this point. I mean, he was a legend. He was really, uh, you know, he was in the organization for a long time. But I think it was time to go a different direction and get a little bit younger and a little bit more analytical. And it seems like they've done that at the big league level and they've been doing it on the minor league side for, for quite a while now. And we've seen, you know, some of the, some of the fruits of that labor, I guess, like come up through the big leagues recently. I think it was time. I think it was time for Don Cooper to move on. We talked about this too. Things happen. The game continues to progress and philosophies start to get old and, imploring stuff that he's done across decades in uh, the White Sox organization. Sometimes it gets dated and, and there's nothing against Cooper. It's just at this time, you're, you're 
trying to move forward. And Ethan Katz is a nice compliment now to the young and progressive way the White Sox are evaluating and developing talent. Something you mentioned, five years of control at 25 years old for Michael Kopech. How about that one? I like that. And for people to give up on Kopech so prematurely, the guy hasn't even gotten started yet. And the White Sox have so many years of control on this electrifying starter. So I'm excited to see what Kopech can do. And you're right. I think the innings limit is going to be an area that everybody has to keep in mind. And the White Sox are going to take their time with Kopech, but when they need him, I think he'll be ready to go uh, when the time is right. So, you know, don't rush. The The Sox have already right now a potentially top of the division roster. So let's not go crazy. And we're not even talking about the end of the offseason yet. Like this, this roster is shaping up to be one of the better teams in the American League already. So you know, understand where the Sox are at depth-wise within their system as well as on the 26th man. And listen, we're not a corporate podcast here. We're just talking about the reality of the situation. The Sox are in a really good spot here, James. Yeah, and I think, you know, with Michael Kopech, like I think a lot of people have kind of given up, right? Or they just assume that, like, it's just going to be something else and he's just, like, never going to pitch. Like, he looked awesome in spring training last yeah. year, as you know, right? So, you know, before before everything shut down, like if yeah, if if, if we go if we're doing this podcast a year from now, right? And Michael Kopech seems like you know the best pitcher in the organization. I really don't think like the two of us will be that surprised, right? And yes, no, like yeah. I said that, like Lucas Giolito is awesome, and I think Michael Kopech could still be better. So I agree. So I would not be super surprised if that comes to fruition and Michael Kopech reaches like the ACE level ceiling, you know, that that's been there. And if he does boy, Oh boy, like does, is that helpful for this organization, right? To get like another top of the rotation starter who's 25, who's going to be here and seemingly, you know, probably would stay here even longer. It's, you know, some, it's just another thing to look forward to. I think we, we thought that we were going to see Michael Kopech in 2020 and we didn't, but I'm pretty sure we're going to see him in 2021. Yeah. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. All right, James, a couple more things I want to, before we let you go, I want to get to your mock draft that you brought up and put out on future socks, as well as the international signing period coming up in 2021. Let's start with a mock draft and the white Sox are picking pretty deep the bottom 10 in the draft uh, for the first time in quite a bit. Uh, and at 22, you have the white Sox taking a pitcher out of wake forest and we don't have to necessarily get into the names around, you know, that area of the draft. I'm just curious on the way you evaluate where the draft falls to the White Sox at that point and why the White Sox are going college pitcher, in your opinion, there. Yeah, so just, you know, a little bit of background before that, obviously. I mean, it's supposed to be a 20-round draft this year. They used the reverse order of the standings like they always do, even though it was only a 60-game season. They moved the draft from June to All-Star Weekend in July in Atlanta, so we're going to have a little bit more time uh, to talk about it, it seems. So, you know, the Sox are picking a lot lower than they have been. They're down at 22. You know, it's a flyer. I went Ryan Cusack, right-handed pitcher, Wake Forest, you know, just a big, hard-throwing right-hander. The White Sox haven't taken a prep player in the first round since 2012, back when they took Courtney Hawkins. And, you know, I know Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't love the thought of paying, you know, first-round money for prep players. But picking at 22... I could see where that could change, right? Because their philosophy has changed. They gave Gar- they gave Jared Kelly three million dollars last year in round two. They gave Michael or uh, Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist each two million dollars the year before that. That's right in range with pick twenty two. So look, if this is the year 
that the White Sox take a prep player at 22, I would welcome it. I think, you know, that's a strategy that always makes sense is taking like up the middle prep players. But I think it is a year where you could convince me that the White Sox should go college heavy because of the way the minor leagues are structured. You know, the White Sox don't have a ton of playing time for their guys in rookie ball as it is. So if they wanted to take more of a college heavy approach and basically like a pitching heavy approach to load, you know, the system with pitchers at all four affiliates and guys that you could trade in the future. I think that's, uh, that's beneficial too. You know, I did, I did a first round mock draft on the website. Um, I did three white Sox picks just cause I kind of felt like it. Um, I did Thatcher Hurd, a right-handed pitcher from high school in California in round two. That's been a recent trend that they've, you know, they've kind of gone for upside in round two with high school pitchers. And then, you know, another college pitcher out of California in round three. So, you know, obviously don't hold me to the picks. I don't know how many of them are going to be right. So, you know, it's, it's December for a July draft, but I felt like we should get a baseline um, out on the site before, uh, you know, before the, the college and the high school season starts this spring. A lot of these guys did pitch in fall ball, and there is actually some information out there on a lot of these guys. So, you know, they're not going off completely nothing at this point. Yeah, it's never too early to talk about the Major League Baseball draft. I mean, people put out uh, mock drafts the day after <laughs> the current draft concludes, you know, a future draft. So, yeah, it's always fun and because you felt like it. I did, and I, yeah. And I, and I, I welcome And it. I do not have Kumar Rocker going number one, by the way, since the Pirates are picking one. So that's, you know, this you know it's free on the site, so you can go to the site and look at it. But there's just a little spoiler. I don't have Kumar Rocker first. Yeah, and go to James' Twitter and tell him, you know, how wrong he is. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's used to it he by now, huh? <laughs> All right, James. Uh, last thing for you to be wrong about, the international signing period. There's a few names that uh, are... I wouldn't want, I don't want to say set in stone, but very strongly considered to land with the White Sox upcoming. So catch us all up because I think it's been a while since we revisited this topic. The international signing period got pushed back, right? The 2021 period and the White Sox have some names attached to them, but because of the way that the, the 2020 season went about that period got delayed. The current period got delayed. So just explain that all in layman's terms, yeah. especially for me, because I don't know what the hell yeah, is going on. Yeah, so it's really like the 2020 international signing period was supposed to take place in July. It's J2. Everybody always talks about July 2nd, right? So there was no 2020 period because of all this. And now those players are allowed to sign on the new period, which starts January 15th of 2021. So I guess it's the 2021 period, but there was no 2020 period. I don't know. It's very strange. But yes, so the players that had agreements that were ready to sign in July have now waited six months and they will sign in January. The White Sox have six names um, highlighted by a Dominican third baseman, Victor Quizada. He's just power hitting third baseman. That's one of uh, Marco Patty's things. He likes he likes power hitters that he signed in for just over 500K out of the Dominican Republic. And then there is a Venezuelan catcher by the name of Emmanuel Garriman. He's like right around 450K as well. It's six total signings, right around 1.8 million. In addition to that, Cuban right-hander that we've talked about, Norge Vera, is also a member of their class. Now, he's a 20 or 21 now. Um, you know, he's kind of in the same vein as a Matthew Thompson or Andrew Dahlquist. So, you know, that, that's a pretty big signing. I think he's, you know, he's probably a top 10 prospect in their system instantly. Um, I hope that he gets to Kannapolis and pitches in that rotation with with Kelly and Thompson and Dahlquist, but the White Sox have typically 
um, sent their signings to the DSL sometimes, you know, for, for bonus issues and there's visa issues sometimes. And sometimes they get a tax break, you know, the player does and they get more if they start in the DSL. So it would be unfortunate if Nori Vera had to pitch the whole year in the DSL cause he's better than that, but at least he would be part of the system. Right. And then there's two other names out there that everybody always asks about. Yoelkis Cespedes is the younger half-brother of Yoenis Cespedes, who you know is the number one international prospect right now, according to MLB Pipeline. And then there is Oscar Colas, who people have, I guess, mischaracterized as the Cuban Otani. Um, he's not Otani. He's not that good. Um, he can't pitch as well as Otani, but look, he's gotten in, he's gotten in shape. If you've looked at his Instagram at all, and uh, you know, it looks like he profiles as a power hitting left handed, like corner outfielder, um, and he uh, you know seems to be ready to sign whenever. He still needs to be cleared by Major League Baseball, but he is free of his Japanese contract. So look, there's all sorts of rumors. The White Sox are linked to both players. They don't have a ton of money. They got, you know, probably just under 2.5 million total to spend and they can't trade for more. So I can't see them landing both players for that amount. Um, but throughout the industry, most teams have their money already committed because of the funky period. So we'll see. I, if you, you know, if you made me bet, I'd say they land one of them. I've heard pretty strongly that the organization felt, you know, like they could have a deal potentially with Cespedes. Um, but Colas is the one that everybody talks about and the Sox are very familiar with his agent. He's rep he represents Norhe Vera and Yohan Mankata as well, you know, and he's got all sorts of stuff with White Sox players and White Sox fans on his Instagram and his socials. So who knows? We'll know soon. I think it's a few weeks from now. So I would imagine both of those guys signed somewhere January 15th and then it'll be all over and I won't have to answer Oscar Colas questions anymore. I am really excited about seeing what happens to Norhe Vera. I think that's a name that I've been looking forward to for a while now. And, you know, with that being said, and last thing before we, we wrap things up here, among those names, how realistic is it, or how quickly would you foresee some of the names that you just mentioned appear at the big league level or at a high-level affiliate over the next couple of years? Is there anybody that you believe can fast-track that could be of use. I mean, I know Yolbert Sanchez is pretty advanced, but that was the last signing period. But how about this period? Like how valuable are these names and how quickly can they advance in the system? Yeah. So the guys that like, that are like the official signees, like the other guys that I mentioned, they'll all just be typical Dominican summer league type guys. But look, Chris Getz has promoted heavily, you know, early, like a guy like Brian Ramos um, never played in the DSL. He went right to Arizona. So, Look, like I don't know much about Victor Quezada or Manuel Garimon, right? But if those guys wound up in Arizona instead of the DSL, like under Chris Getz, nobody should be surprised. But look, those guys are really far away. Norhe Vera probably belongs in A-ball immediately. If he's down, it's for other reasons, like I've said. And then Cespedes and Colas, that's something that's interesting to me. I think as they, they need playing time. So if one of them signed... You know, you could make the argument that they're good enough to go right to Birmingham, but if it's Winston, you know, for this year, I think that's fine. Um, I think either guy, though, doesn't need a ton of minor league seasoning. They could be in the big leagues at some point in 2022. They're, I mean, those guys are like 22, 23-ish years old. They've played in professional leagues already. That You know, this is, those are not like three- to four-year type guys. They'd be ready pretty soon, just not right away. 
James, great stuff as always. Thanks so much for jumping on, taking the time, having the conversation. You know, get back to, uh, you know, the human life that you're taking care of. I hear that yeah. he uh, is still kicking, so that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I got to go feed a baby here in like 20, 20 minutes, I think he's due, and uh, okay. my, my wife likes uh, walking around the neighborhood, so I think we're going to go do that and put on put on gloves and a hat, so... All right, James, appreciate the time. Happy holidays to all of you listening. Really appreciate you tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox podcast. Check us out, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Did I say Spotify already? If I didn't, there you go. Uh, go to futuresocks.com, anchor.fm forward slash futuresocks as well for our full podcast library for James Fox. My name is Mike Rankin. Again, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next time.